those things that I do, you do it too. So don't send me your email saying, because we all do. I have no idea why we do it. Actually, I do have an idea why we do it, but it, I don't know, there's something deep in our soul that finds something in those stories that we know we shouldn't click on, that we say to ourselves, why am I, Marshall used to say this all the time, don't click on that, don't click on that, and we do it anyway. Sometimes you find things in those stories that, uh, well, enlighten me, or enlighten you, entertain me, certainly make me think. They used to be called the society pages back in the day, that's what they were called, and they were pages about what was going on in society. And here you would find, you know, whose who's debutante ball was happening, who's getting married to who, who's moving to another location or that sort of thing. And then they sort of started morphing into what would later be called the gossip pages. And these then naturally morphed into other things, what we call tabloid news or using the modern vernacular, fake news most most of the tabloid stuff was fake I used to sell when I was a kid probably about Ben's age I used to sell grit mass grit newspaper magazine whatever it was and used to go door to door selling grit saw it in a comic book or something and thought oh it's a great way to make some money it wasn't but it's uh it was this kind of thing National Enquirer or that sort of thing and it just sort of uh the society pages just sort of morphed into that at some point and it became normal i suppose to stand in the super aisle supermarket aisle checkout aisle and supermarket checkout aisle put the words in the right order dave and scan these things to see who was doing what where and when and why and all of that and don't get me wrong I've done it. You've done it. We've all bought the National Enquirer, the Midnight Star. We've and and for the one time that they actually got things right with uh, was it Gary Hart? I think it was. <laughs> it was uh, it was a rather remarkable little thing, and we all sort of say to ourselves, "Well, maybe this time they'll be getting it right. Maybe this time it'll be something that that." Um, you can put your faith in. Maybe this time it'll be that. And, of course, it never is. But it does give us something of a, of a view into our society as a whole. This then morphed into Yahoo Entertainment, which is almost actually news, but deals with things that mm, you wouldn't otherwise care about. It was about a year ago, it was just over a year ago, that my newsfeed was full of the headline. You ready for this? Bella Thorne is bisexual. And I remember being confused that day. Not sexually, but I remember being confused by this whole thing for two reasons. One, I had no freaking clue who Bella Thorne is. 
And two, I, I didn't know why I was supposed to care. But my newsfeed was being overloaded by the story of Bella Thorne, whoever the heck she was, being bisexual. And of course, I commented on this. I said, why don't, who the hell is Bella Thorne and why do I care? To which my good friend John Considine uh, said, hey, what have you been Googling? Because, you know, face, that's how Facebook works. They, uh, they send you stuff that you've been Googling. So I went off and looked up the, the algorithms for Facebook at the time. And it turned out it was what my friends have been Googling. So you people that are friends with me on Facebook were obviously Googling Bella Thorne bisexual. And that's why it was showing up in my Facebook feed. Still don't know why I was supposed to care. It's the 21st century. How is it possibly, in any way, shape, or form, eye-raising news that someone is bisexual, especially somebody in Hollywood, which it turns out she is? So imagine my surprise when uh, she made the news again this week because, well, she was Bella Thorning again. So there is a thing called OnlyFans. Now, I'm not recommending that you go there. I'm not recommending that you participate in this in any way, shape, or form. That's not what I'm saying. But OnlyFans is a, well, let's just call it what it is. It's internet prostitution. It's a place where sex workers can go and show their wares for a specific donation, quote-unquote. And Ms. Thorne, Ms. Thorne, Mrs. Thorne, I don't know, the bisexual, uh, decided that she was going to start an OnlyFans account this past week. And as so often happens in Hollywood, she now claims that she was researching for a movie by opening an OnlyFans, what I call, internet prostitution site. Okay, fine. I mean, it's not hurting anybody. I get it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, the problem is that she basically defrauded Everybody, all of the all of the people that signed up to see her cavorting naked got ripped off. She never did, and she took their money and didn't provide the service that for which was agreed. Now, under normal circumstances, you might think, well, this would result in criminal charges. But because the activity that's going on here is morally questionable to begin with, you're left with this position where, wait a sec. <laughs> You know, what the hell are we doing here? What What's going on here? OnlyFans came out and basically told all the other people, the little people, the people who didn't make $2 million in one day by defrauding their customers, um, told them that they wouldn't get paid for 30 days to prevent this sort of thing from happening again in the future. While Ms. Thorne collected her money or $2 million or so in one day or one week, and went online and said, oh, I was researching for a movie. Thanks for helping. Of course, the guy that she said she's working on the movie with says, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. We weren't making a movie. Um, never heard of this. And ta-da. You know. In the middle of reading all this, um, there was one of those links in the story. So, so that's where I started with this Bella Thorne story about how she ripped off all her OnlyFans. And in the process of this has screwed over <coughs> all of the other real OnlyFans sex workers. So now they don't get paid in a timely manner because of what Bella Thorne did. You following me here? 
in the middle of all this was a link to another story, which is where I really want to get with this, which was Jamie Lee Curtis, who, for people of my generation, Jamie Lee Curtis holds a special place in our hearts. And, you know, she is what she is. I mean, she's, uh, she's an actress. I don't know that she's accomplished anything else in her life, but she is an actress. She sent out a series of tweets the other day in support of the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, that's not unpredictable, nor is that, you know, unexpected in all of this. Um, but she also said this on the 27th. She said the studio, she's talking about a movie that she made back in 1987 called Amazing Grace and Chuck. Remember that one? Really? I doubt seriously that anybody in my audience has ever even seen this film, let alone heard of it. But in the, in the off chance that you haven't, the studio, she said, insisted on calling Amazing Grace and Chuck a fable. She's mad about this. Here we are in 2020. She's mad about a 2000 or 1987 film, which the studio called, quote, a fable. To protest the proliferation of nuclear weapons, one boy, Chuck, gives up the best thing he has in playing Little League Baseball. And soon athletes from all over the world, led by Amazing Grace Smith, a basketball player played by Alex English, who used to be a really good basketball player, followed Chuck and boycotted their sport. Children all over the world join in this movement by boycotting speech. They all just shut up. Children around the world pushing for nuclear protesting nuclear proliferation, sorry, nuclear proliferation, um, just shut up. They stopped talking. And then she says these protests were successful. Yeah, in the fable they were. In the real world, Jamie Lee, they were not only not successful, they weren't even noticed. They, it, it never happened. She's upset because it's called a fable, but... The reality of it is, uh, it was a fable. And I started, really, this kind of, I don't know that it bothered me, but I just, I kept coming back to that story. In fact, I bookmarked it because it was so fascinating to me that this actress, 23 years, is that right? 87, 97, 07, so 33 years after this movie came out, this fable about children shutting up, because they were protesting the nuclear proliferation of, of atomic weapons throughout the world. By the way, Dale, the reason I say nuclear is we used to have, sorry, this is a complete aside, so we'll be back to the real show in just a second. Um, we used to have a city councilman who listened to the show in Modesto who would, every time I would intentionally mispronounce a word, he would call John and complain about it. So we would intentionally mispronounce words that would set him off. And one of those words was nuclear. So I would always say, sorry, nuclear. Cause I knew that I would, I knew he was listening and it would spin him up. That's why we do it. And he passed away some years ago, a couple years ago. And he actually was a pretty good friend of mine. So it's sort of a, a hat tip as it were to my good friend, Dave gear. All right, back to this. So she's upset that this movie, which portrayed this protest, she's, she's saying, see, she, the, the way the story was written was almost like she was claiming credit for today's protests being quote-unquote successful because she did it first in a movie. She was successful with her protests about nuclear proliferation in a movie 33 years ago 
that was a fable. And so that proves that these protests, which she started back in 1987, were successful. And I, I don't, I, I swear to God, there are times when you just stare at something and you, you think to yourself, there's no way that this could be that stupid. There's no way people could actually read this and go, oh, that makes sense. But they do. And how do we know that they do? Well, oddly enough, it has become noticeable to me in recent years that the junk pages of, of, of any given society, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in modern America, Civil War America, Byzantine France. It doesn't matter. It's the junk pages of society that somehow or another managed to survive. The serious historians, the people that write the big tomes, the people that actually research stuff, their books get written, but they gather dust on a shelf over there because nobody reads them. But the graffiti of an era? <laughs> that, by the way, gets read. And so here we are in the 21st century. We have Twitter where essentially it's a giant graffiti wall where people like Jamie Lee Curtis and Bella Thorne can, can post their graffiti. And it's there forever. You say something on Twitter and you want people to forget about it. You say something on Twitter 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and all of a sudden people are mad at you. Where do they go? Do they go to the history books? Do they go to the newspapers and pull out your, your pull quote from an article? No, they go to your Twitter account. Do you know that 13 years ago? He said something that offends me today, and therefore we must cancel him? It's just graffiti. That's all it is. Which was driven home to me, I guess, as I was reading this morning about graffiti around the world. And it was kind of, it's kind of a funny thing because they, the, the graffiti at Pompeii, you know what Pompeii is, right? Pompeii is the city at the foot of Mount Vesuvius that 2,000 years ago, well, almost 2,000, A.D. 79, B, uh, C.E. 79, was buried in an eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And as they have slowly uncovered Pompeii and Hericulum, Her uh, they have uncovered, remarkably, <laughs> graffiti. This picture that I'm showing you happens to be a a bit of graffiti written on a wall in charcoal to thousand years ago. Just think about that for just a minute. You're looking, if you're watching the video, you're looking at something that was written 2,000 years ago, handwriting 2,000 years ago on a wall in Pompeii. And what does it say? Do you think it would say something? You, you, you go to this thing and you think you're going to find something, you know, incredibly meaningful and incredibly detailed and, and really, you know, just kind of, um, well, important. And what you get is dirty limericks, complaints about politicians. There's one that I love about a politician sucking on something. You get things like this. Successes, a weaver, loves the innkeeper's slave girl named Iris. 
She, however, does not love him. Still, he begs her to have pity on him. His rival wrote this. Goodbye. Successius then replies, Envious one, why do you get in the way? Submit to a handsomer man and one who is being treated very wrongly and good-looking. And then the, the reply, I have spoken. I have written all there is to say. You love Iris, but she does not love you. So let it be written. So let it be done. And what I discovered in all of this is that there are people out there who are actually studying the society 2,000 years ago in Vesuvius area via the graffiti. And it's the graffiti, the low-level writings, thoughts, musings, 140 characters of that society that are telling us more about them, well, at least we think more about them, than anything else. And by the way, it wasn't just Pompeii. The, uh, in, 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 in Egypt, you have, I swear to God, you, they found graffiti that's signed the Drunks of Menkari and Friends of the Khufu Gang. It's, <laughs> you, you look at the stuff and you just go, wait, what? There is stuff that is just my hand will wear out the inscript, but the inscription will remain kind of mentality of this whole thing. And it's these fascinating, and I do mean fascinating, bits of graffiti from 2,000 and more years ago, in the case of Egypt, probably closer to four or 5,000 years ago, that are telling us what these people were like. And what we're learning is they had a whole bunch of Bella Thorns and Jamie Lee Curtis's too. A bunch of people who thought they were way more important than they ever really were and were obsessed with sex and their political opinions about things. We're learning about all these societies in the sense that, well, here are the real people, and here's what they're really saying and really thinking, as opposed to the official versions that we see over there in the history books and in the you know, annals of whatever kingdom it might be of history, the annals of history. Invention of fire, invention of the submarine. The Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl. I mean, so a thousand years from now, somebody's going to look at that and go, "What the hell is a Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl?" And in the same way, we're looking at the societies in Pompeii, in Egypt, in Iraq, Syria, and those places. Looking at this graffiti, going, "This is amazing. These people not only were they crazy, but they're just like us." And it makes you wonder in 2,000 years when somebody digs up all this Twitter stuff and all this stuff and looks at this, the, the Yahoo Entertainment and sees that Bella Thorne was bisexual and that she tricked a bunch of people into giving her $2 million on OnlyFans, which screwed all the other, <laughs> all the other sex workers on OnlyFans. You're going to wonder, is that really what they think of our society being obsessed with? I mean, Twitter, it really is the graffiti of the day. Social media is really the graffiti of our day. It's really no different than Pompeii. Right down to, right down to who mounted the beautiful Bella and didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs>